Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker, sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts, michaelsflooringoutlet.com. On the voice of St. Louis, KMOX. And welcome back to Overnight America. I am Ryan Recker, at least for the next uh, four days, and then after that, I'm still Ryan Recker, but I just will not be the host of Overnight America. And I'll miss you guys. I made the announcement. Well, we made the announcement, I should say, but I made the announcement earlier. But on Friday morning, the news went out and you can find it at KMOX.com. St. Louis Talks kicks off Monday, May 3rd, a week from today. And by this time, a week from today, I will be nestled in bed dreaming about the very first show that we hosted during the midday there. There were, I was I was going back into the archive. In fact, I think there have only been two syndicated shows during the day on KMOX, and Rush Limbaugh was the second one. And with his passing a couple of months ago, and Rush Limbaugh, one of the iconic radio personalities in from Missouri, one of the historic Missourians in Cape Girardeau, and being in radio and talk radio in general, he had such uh, admiration for this radio station and such love for it. It's uh, it, it was a tough loss for a lot of different people. And I know that a lot of people have been wondering what is KMOX going to do during the day? Some radio stations have decided to hire local talent. Very few, I should say, have made the announcement. Many, even really big radio stations, surprisingly, have gone the way of a different syndicated host. And KMOX went a different direction. They said, we're going to invest in the station and the people, and they're moving us to middays. And I'm super excited to do that starting next week. Really excited. One of the people that will be going with me is Richard Bino. He's going to join us in the next segment. He comes on Mondays, and I know a lot of people have been asking me, will Rich go with you? And yes, he will. I'm, I'm very happy for that. Such a great, such a great historical mind. I actually recorded that with him earlier. And since it's one of those late nights, I, I didn't know what time the Cardinals game would end. And I didn't want him to stay up till like, you know, midnight to do a uh, segment with us. So I recorded earlier and I actually had a couple of history trivia questions to throw at him. And he did great. So I think you're going to like those coming up here. So I'm going to try to get to as many responses as I can in the emails, things like that. I'm going to try to get a couple of more guest book for this week. And we're trying to get our schedule set up for next week and try to get as many special guests as possible. 
And I'm really looking forward to bringing it to you. I, I am. I think it's going to be a good show. I think that for the first week, you really must give it a listen and try it out. Try it out. Um, let me let me point this out real quick. And I saw this one story before we go to Richard Bean on, on Fox 2. What a scary thing that we have to worry of a stray bullet at any given time in the city of St. Louis. Isn't that just of all the things you have to worry about? You know, your car getting broken into is one thing, but a stray bullet coming through your window is not something that anyone should have to fear at any given time in St. Louis. And that's part of the problem we live in. Depending on where you are in St. Louis, that's a reality. And it's terrible. And luckily, they do have a suspect in something like this. But here we are trying to talk about what it's like to just be hanging out in your living room. And all of a sudden, a bullet comes through. I'm very grateful to be alive. Um, I, I, I felt like God covered me with one of his angels. Yeah, this is over on Fox 2, by the way where Fox 2 is trying to figure out exactly what happened. A 57-year-old Delwood woman speaking out after being shot by a stray bullet while sitting in her living room. Fearing for her safety, she asked not to be identified. The shooting all unfolded Friday morning around 11 in the 9900 block of Glen Owen Drive when shots were fired outside her home. And by the way, 11 a.m., when they say 11, 11 a.m., not 11 p.m., just during the day. There it is. Hmm. From the way that it was uh, angled at the house, it had to come from directly across the street. The innocent victim wounded while looking out her living room window. You can see where the bullet went through the glass. The Delwood woman noticed she was bleeding and family members called 911. You know, depending on where you get hit or if you're just grazed or whatever it is, very. I just think it's a matter of inches. If the thing was just a couple of inches up or a couple of inches to the side, how that could easily be life threatening and life changing. It hits you someplace. Other, you know, if it's a if it grazes you and gets you on the leg, it makes you wonder too. How is it that you don't know? Sometimes you think uh, it, you would instantly know, but then you hear these stories about someone got shot and they just had no idea they were shot. Does the bullet find itself getting lodged a little bit in the wall? And when it comes through, it's not traveling as fast, so it doesn't hurt as much. But I don't think that's the case either, because anytime you have hot metal going through your flesh, that's not something that could be pleasant. But, man, I'm so glad she's OK. And the, the fact that she said that angels were watching over her is mm, you look at that and think that could have been anyone. I felt something and I walked away into another room and um, still not really knowing what had happened because I had my hand covering my, you know, my, my side. And um, uh, it's when uh, I realized that I had been shot. St. Louis County Police identify the suspect as 36-year-old Edison Hester, who lives in a halfway house nearby. Hester was taken into custody and charged with first-degree assault, armed criminal action, and unlawful possession of a gun. Police say the woman did not know the shooter, and police have responded to the halfway house this year at least 16 times. Oh, my goodness, 16 times to the same house. At the end of the Fox 2 story here, which you're listening to, they mentioned that uh, the suspect said he was aiming at someone else. And <sighs> 16 times. My goodness. I, I, I think that I would be out of that house as fast as I could be out of the house. But how do you even disclose that? Let's say you're the homeowner. How do you disclose that there's a halfway house and once in a while you could get shot 
do, do you have to put that down when you're trying to sell a property? And does that make it impossible to sell? Something's got to happen there. And when you have that many instances at one place, oh, just terrible. This poor woman. And what uh, what do you do? You live there. And do you have to worry that any given time a bullet's going to come through your window or wall? Because it's what? You've had 16 different incidences from there. It's once it gets one time you get hit and you think, well, I don't know. Police aren't going to get here in time to stop something or they're not going to be able to prevent it because this kind of activity is going to continue. What's going to happen next? Man, how do you how do you live there? You just, it just seems like you just fear for your life any given day. It's just a terrible terrible situation and i wish the best for this woman i hope that she is safe for the rest of her time and anything that happens here on out she'll be absolutely safe but this just breaks your heart because this is the stories that happen here in st louis that need to be told we got so many problems so many problems all right so what we're going to do is we'll take a break and when we come back our friend rich rubino is going to be joining us we do a regular monday hookup with him this is overnight america kmox all the news and all that matters to you. The voice of St. Louis, KMOX. He's the author of American Politics on the Rocks, politi-geek.com. And you can hear him Mondays at least for one more night on Overnight America. Rich Rubino, how are you? I'm doing well, and congratulations. Well, thank you. I thought of you originally when we were talking about launching this new show. And I thought to myself, man, of, of the guests that carry over, I really hope Rich would come with us to the daytime show on KMOX. So I, I brought this up to you, and you said, sure, which is great news because I know a lot of people love hearing from you. So even though this will be our last time at night for Overnight America, starting uh, next week when I'm on during the day, uh, Monday through Friday from 11 until 2, it looks like we're going to hook up on Tuesdays would be the, the right day. So you're still going to follow with us, and I'm really excited about that. Excellent. Sounds great. Absolutely. And uh, thank you for being accommodating, too. I think that's that's a huge part of it. And you get all kinds of great comments online. Who's your number one fan online? Is it Martha? Uh, there's a, Yes, uh, Martha Simpson, I believe. Yes, she's definitely a fan of your work. I think she waits <laughs> every single Monday night with popcorn in hand. Cannot wait. <laughs> For the yeah, segment to air, which is great. So I wanted to talk to you about a few things. Yes, um, President Biden's going to be addressing the nation this week. And we were yes. wondering, when was this going to happen? Normally, a president, even when they're new in office, would address the nation. Not uh, Normally, it doesn't take them this long to put something together. We look at it as a State of the Union. I was reading online. Technically, it's called something else. But still, we can just the vocabulary that we understand. It is a State of the Union. And he will be doing it this week. I think a lot of people will be watching. There's different uh, questions about different policies and things that they want to put forward. A lot of uh, division still in our country when it comes to how we handle things. I'm curious your thoughts when it comes to a president addressing the nation, some of the things that they bring up, and particularly you are bringing up the idea uh, you should watch what happens after. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Well, basically, I mean, you know, the Constitution basically says that um, from time to time, the president should address the nation on the, basically on the State of the Union, but it doesn't say necessarily that he has to actually stand there and deliver it. 
Um, that was something that was began, um, actually, and Washington did it, John Adams did it, but Thomas Jefferson, who was very much an anti-federalist, he was against the idea of a monarchical president, said, you know what, we're not going to do this, I'm not going to go up there, I'm just going to submit it, basically, on a piece of paper, and it's going to go to the United States Congress. And that was basically standard operating procedure all the way until Woodrow Wilson in 1913, Wilson had an advisor named Joseph Tumulty who basically said, you know what, this is a way that we can really um, kind of we can really kind of modernize the presidency. Wilson was, was a progressive in that respect. He wanted to modernize the presidency. So he actually came up and actually delivered the address in person. And then Harding, who succeeded him, continued that practice. Coolidge did it once. And then Hoover did not do it at all. And FDR continued Wilson's, continued Wilson's um, speech, as giving a, delivering a speech for the United States Congress. And since then, pretty much every president has done that. It's considered, um, it's, considered, it's considered standard operating procedure that a president will do it. It would really be fascinating if a president actually said, you know what, I'm going to go back to the Jefferson precedent and I'm just going to send something, you know, probably written by a speechwriter and not actually go there. So they're expected to deliver the State of the Union address. And, you know, technically the president's job is simply to be the person who enforces the law. Congress, you know, essentially effectuates or creates the law, writes the law, and then the president enforces it. And the Supreme Court, you know, supposedly going back to Marvey versus Madison in 1803, they're supposed to decide whether the con whether it's constitutionally permissible or not. But basically the president is going to go up there and it's going to give a laundry – usually they give a laundry list of their proposals. It's basically a campaign theme more than anything else. That's why some folks, like when Bob Byrd was the former senator from West Virginia, decided he wasn't going to attend because he thought they were essentially campaign um, – they were essentially campaign events more so than actually delivering the State of the Union. Um, some Supreme Court justices attend, which is fascinating because they're not supposed to – they're supposed to be technically neutral arbiters of the law so they can attend, but they don't, they can't, don't actually cheer unless it's something completely uncontroversial – for example, when the president recognizes somebody um, sitting up, somebody sitting, somebody sitting in the in the audience who maybe you know had 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 recovered from 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 a from a trauma, something like that. But generally speaking, they don't they don't applaud. Um, Clarence Thomas doesn't even attend state of the unions anymore because he says they're basically too partisan. But that's really what you see is the president delivering a laundry list of proposals, and then afterward, you see somebody from the opposing party comes along and delivers the rebuttal. And it's interesting in terms of the rebuttal. Usually, the person that delivers the rebuttal is somebody that the, that the party is looking at as a potential rising star, somebody potentially that could run for president in the future. This all started, by the way, in 1967 after Lyndon Johnson delivered his State of the Union address. He was, by the way, the first one who actually delivered it at night. It usually, if you can believe it, it was actually delivered in the day before that. Mm -hmm. And so Gerald Ford, the minority leader from Michigan, and Everett Dirksen of Illinois, the minority leader from the, the minority leader of the United States Senate, delivered a response. Um, now the responses are usually delivered by a younger member, a governor, or a senator. Um, Bill Clinton in 1985 talked. To, he delivered as he delivered a rebuttal to Ronald Reagan and actually used the term bridged the 21st century, which became his 1996 re-election campaign slogan. It was him and Bob Graham of Florida, both rising stars in the party, perceived as potential presidential candidates. And interestingly, when Clinton ran in 92, Bob Graham was on the shortlist as their vice presidential running mate. So this time we're going to have Tim Scott, the senator from South, Dakota, South Carolina, um, the only African-American United States senator in the Republican Party, um, somebody who's not really seen as a presidential prospect, someone who said that he will run for re-election in 2022 and then will retire essentially from politics and will not run for governor. Interestingly, because South Carolina was a state that had, you know, had folks like Fritz Hollings, 
from 1967 to 2003, Fritz Hollings and, and Strom Thurmond were both United States senators from South Carolina, so they really were able to bring a lot of largesse to the state. But it's going to be a very interesting uh, phenomenon to see what Biden says and then what Tim Scott says. So let me just make sure it'll be President Joe Biden and then behind him, will it be Kamala Harris and Kevin McCarthy or who are the two that will be behind him? No. Well, so basically what happens is so Nancy Pelosi will be behind because technically what it is is so the president is the president of the United States. Then the speaker of the House is then the speaker of the House who leads the House of Representatives Mm -hmm. will be Nancy Pelosi. And then Kamala Harris will be behind um, Joe Biden because in her role, she's the in her, her actual role as vice president is essentially she is essentially she is the um she she like is the head the of the vice Senate. president is actually the head of the Senate. She actually is, an, is technically the, head of the Senate. She's actually paid not as a le- as executive, but by part of the legislature. So she's technically that's why she can break up, but she can break a tie when it's fifty fifty. So it's going to be Senator. It's going to be Vice President Harris and Nancy Pelosi, which means that chances are every time Biden says something. They will applaud. You will not have that kind of awkward moment when the president gets up and then the vice president applauds everything. And the speaker of the house is from a different party and does not applaud any, and never applauds. But this time you probably have applauding in both, in yeah. both instances. Sits there like uh, Bernie Sanders wearing mittens and a jacket. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to one of those. Rich Rubino is joining us here, Polita-Geek.com. And then what happens after normally presidents take the opportunity of the uh, addressing of the nation to get and hit the road? Do you think you'll see that with Joe Biden? Yes, absolutely. Um, it's interesting. Usually what they do is, since I say oh, this is really a campaign is what it really is, the campaign for proposals, is they essentially usually go out and usually, coincidentally, they're usually the showdown states they go. And you're not going to probably see Joe Biden go to Alabama or Massachusetts. He's going to go to the states that actually you know matter electorally, states like Georgia, for example. And usually you go out there. I mean, for all intents and purposes, it's really a political um, it's a political speech, and obviously the fact you're going to those states show that you're talking about, you know, re-election or keeping the party in power for 2024. But that's usually uh, what happens. And then you're going to hear the next day you're going to have here the, de- the president's proponents are going to be on television, and then the opponents are going to be on. They're going to talk about how they're going to talk. They're going to talk about how they didn't like the speech or what parts they did like of the speech. But that's generally what happens. And also, you usually see a bounce from the president after the State of the Union address because they essentially get, you know, free media. I mean, you know, that's what what do you want more than free media than seeing NBC, ABC, CBS, Fox News, CNN, every single network showing an entirety of a president's speech. So what you have is a lot of people who are not necessarily following politics day to day. You know, there's nothing else on, so they're actually watching this, so maybe they'll have a favorable view of the president. And the problem with this is when the when when Republicans deliver a response, you know, the president's up there. He's speaking in front of the joint session Congress. It looks very presidential, almost monarchical. Then you have this other guy coming up, and he's usually speaking in an office somewhere, and it looks very awkward. So sometimes, you know, folks like Marco Rubio, for example, Bobby Jindal, the governor of Louisiana, delivered re- delivered rebuttals to the president's address, and they were not very warmly received, in part because they were just seen as so subservient to the actual president's address. Wow. Well, I um, I got some political trivia for you. In fact, I found a few things, and I was going to try to spring it on you um, to oh, see okay. if you can answer them. Okay. So don't I have no idea. I didn't run these by you ahead of time. So anyone listening right no. now, this will just show you uh, <laughs> the, the vast knowledge of Richard Bino. Here's um, question number one, political trivia for you. On this president's honeymoon, he took his first wife, Carolyn, to his hometown to show her his grandfather's gigantic memorial tomb in Ohio. Which president was that? 
grand. Let's see. This is um, his grand. I would say Benjamin Harrison. You are correct. <laughs> That's a great place. Very romantic to Grandpa's tomb in Ohio. <laughs> yes. Well, his <laughs> interestingly, his yeah, his grandfather actually was um, was the president of the United States himself, and he served literally for one month. He served in 1841, and he was the shortest. Um, Sort of the shortest tenure of the pre- of any president, and then of course Harrison came in in 1888, and one of the one of the there was a political cartoon that showed Harrison with his uh, hat on, and you know basically saying that and the hat was big, and basically saying that Harrison Harrison wasn't big enough to wear the hat of his uh, grandfather. Yeah, I'm kind of, you see a little resemblance between the two, I guess, uh, between William oh, yes, Henry Harrison absolutely. and uh, Benjamin Harrison. <laughs> yes, absolutely, absolutely. Benjamin Harrison's got the beard. William Henry Harrison does not, but. Um, but yeah, no, absolutely. But Harrison was elected 1840, served for one for one month, and then Harrison Benjamin Harrison was elected in 1888. Even though he lost a popular vote, he won in the electoral college, and then lost to Grover Cleveland in 1892. Yeah. Okay. Question uh, number two. Let's see if you know this one. All right. Can you okay. tell me which United States president spent a year on safari in Africa and also explored uncharted parts of the Amazon? Theodore Roosevelt. You are correct again. <laughs> That's pretty good. You know your stuff, he Rich. Did this, he did this after his presidency, actually. Yes, oh, he did. okay. So this all happened after the fact. That's quite a yes. thing to do. I mean, normally you sit back and relax. What a what a, a a wild life that Teddy Roosevelt, huh? Well, he. I mean, you know, he he really he lived life to the fullest, but then of course he ended up dying at age sixty, in part because he did live life to the fullest. And interestingly, so after he after he was the after he left the presidency, he ran again in nineteen twelve as a member of the Progressive Party. Then he came back in in, in nineteen um, in right around nineteen eighteen nineteen nineteen when he when he was dying, he was actually in nineteen eighteen he was the front runner for the nineteen twenty presidential election, and there was some talk that he might actually run again as a Republican because he had become a Republican again after having aggressed from the party, and then of course he died, you know, certainly um, at the age of uh, at the age of sixty. Okay, here's another trivia question for you. I'll yeah. see if you got this one. Uh, can you name the politician who ran for president three times in 1896, 1900, and 1908, was also uh, fired as Woodrow Wilson's Secretary of William State? William Jennings Bryan. Yes, I know. You've, you've mentioned him before. I had to find at least one trivia question for him. <laughs> <laughs> well, when he, ran in 19, when he ran in 1908, he'd already run twice before, and William Howard Taft's slogan was, um, Vote for Taft. You can vote for Taft this election. You can vote for Brian anytime. <laughs> and the day after Brian lost the third time, he said, um, you know what he said? Mm-hmm. He said, he said, essentially, he said, um, I, I think I think those fellows don't want me in there after all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Rich Rubino, by the way, if people wanted to look you up online, where can they find you? Yep, you can go to Twitter, Rich Rubino Paul, or you can go to Facebook and just type in Rich and then last name Rubino, R-U-B-I-N-O. Or you can just go to, um, you can find me on Instagram as well, or you can go to www.paletta-geek.com. Great. And we're going to continue with Rich Rubino right after the break on Overnight America KMOX. And welcome back to Overnight America. I'm your host, Ryan Recker, and joining us here is our friend on Mondays, one last time for the late night shift with Rich Rabino. And you're going to be hanging around with us again starting next week. You're actually going to be moving with me to the daytime. So I'm so excited that we'll continue to do this in the future. Excellent. Sounds great. I had this one person on Facebook message me. And let me bring this up real quick because I wanted to read it to you. It was from David 
who on Facebook said, um, always enjoy your Monday evening conversations with Rich Rubino. Uh, I'd like to add the story of Charles Gates, uh, Gates Dawes. I think uh, Charles Dawes, yeah, yeah, that was uh, uh, vice president under uh, Coolidge. Coolidge, yeah, nineteen twenty-five to twenty-nine. They say Uh, Dawes was also a composer who wrote a song "Melody in a Major" in nineteen twelve. An arrangement of the song was made in twenty-one by Marie Edwards. Nineteen fifty-one, Carl Sigmund added lyrics to the song "It's All in the Game," which became a number one hit. And he said he is the only VP to compose a number one hit song. He and Sonny Bono are only two people to compose a number one hit song who are also members of the Senate or Congress. And yep. he said also recipients of a Nobel Prize, him and Bob Dylan, uh, only people to compose a number one hit that were recipients of a Nobel Prize. Isn't that something I, I never knew that? Were you familiar with that story? Yeah, absolutely. I did not know that. Um, I, I, I certainly I did not know that uh, Sonny Bono won a Nobel Prize, but I didn't know about that about Charles Dawes. Well, I don't know Sonny Bono won the Nobel Prize. It says that Mr. Dawes and Bob Dylan are the only people to oh, compose yeah, a yeah. number one. I'm trying hit. to picture why Sonny Bono would win a Nobel Prize. <laughs> <laughs> I guess the people. I guess maybe maybe Cher nominated him. I don't know, but maybe it was part of their relationship. I don't know, but yeah, well, I guess musicians don't win them all that often. At least ones that go to number one on the charts. And Bob Dylan's somewhat, uh, you know, in the last couple of years, really. Charles Dawes is an interesting character because so he was vice president. So Coolidge becomes president in 1923 at the time, prior to the 25th Amendment to the United States Constitution. There was no provision allowing for a president to select a vice president. So he ran in 1924, and the convention basically chose him as his running mate. And Dawes had a very contentious relationship with Calvin Coolidge. Why is that? Um, Oh, very contentious. Um, basically, at the time, it doesn't happen anymore, but in the, pre- the, the vice president and the president used to be sworn in separately. So, Dawes, so Coolidge was, was sworn in, um, and then Dawes was sworn in basically in, as, remember, the president of the United States Senate. So when you give a speech back then, the vice president would actually give an address before, you know, before the United States Congress, just fustigated on the um, this rules of the Senate procedure, how much he didn't like the Senate procedure, and Coolidge was very embarrassed because, you know, he, this isn't what Coolidge, Coolidge wanted his, the attention to be put on himself, so he had a very contentious uh, relationship, and there was another instance where, you know, basically Dawes would take a nap every day, and <laughs> be right around the time, at one point he was taking a nap, and the de- the, his opponents were trying to get some, were trying to end a confirmation hearing, I believe, so um, for somebody that the Coolidge administration had supported, so they brought it up while he was taking a nap, so he couldn't be the 51st vote. And he finally he got. By the time he got there, the vote had already gone through. But he was um, a very. Um, it was a very interesting relationship between Dawes and uh, and Calvin Coolidge. Taking a nap, they purposely schedule <laughs> he would it do around it every day. Yes. Time. <laughs> what trickery! That is so great. This is well back. See, back then, the vice president actually, up until the time, Alvin Barkley was really the first one, that, and then Richard Nixon, who didn't, you know, actually spend all their time actually in the Senate. You actually, the vice president of the Senate today, they're only really there for formal occasions, or they're there when they're getting their picture taken or they're, when, for the Senate, or they're there when they're going to be the 51st vote. But generally speaking, it's a, it's a junior member of the, of the um, majority party that's up there saying, you know, I recognize the gentleman from Wyoming, and that's essentially it. But back then, they actually had to do that. So he would know what time, you know, the Senate was supposed to be in session. He would say, okay, up until then, I'm just going to be taking my nap. So he was taking his nap, and he kind of missed out on it. Wow. 
That is so great. I'd be so mad if I woke up and found out something like that happened <laughs> while I was napping. Because I do take a lot of naps. Not in the future. I have a feeling that I'm not allowed to nap at work. Unless there's some special provision I need to write into my contract where they must allow me to take a nap. I don't think that'll happen and I'll miss out on things. But I like to think that uh, it, that sort of uh, trickery existed. But going back to that trivia question and that what that person brought up. He says that Mr. Dawes and Bob Dylan are the only people to compose a number one hit and also are recipients of Nobel Prize. Do you know the number one song Bob Dylan hit? Uh, if we're looking at the Billboard charts, he only hit number one once in his career. Do you know the song that uh, put him at number one? Uh, I don't think you'll guess uh, it. You, either you know it or you don't. Gangsta's Paradise? <laughs> of all the Bob Dylan songs, you would think like a Rolling Stone is so popular yeah. or whatever. But it was just the last couple of years he released a 17-minute song called, oh. um, let me see what it was called. It was like Murder Most High or something like that. But it was just uh, in 2020 that he hit number one. Yeah, Murder Most Foul. Isn't that strange? Wow. It took him until 2020 wow. to get a number one song. And he's looked at as one of the you know most celebrated songwriters of all time, and definitely as an American musician, one of the greatest of all time. It's pretty he also had a very interesting relationship, as did Willie Nelson, uh, with Jimmy Carter, and they would both oftentimes uh, visit the White House. Really? So Bob Dylan's been there? Jimmy Carter, Jimmy, Jimmy Carter was a fan of both Bob Dylan and Willie Nelson, and Willie Nelson would smoke pot when he was at the... Uh, White House, and later he revealed that the, one of the people he was doing it with was Jimmy Carter's son. Oh, man. <laughs> Jimmy <laughs> Carter. You think Carter would have allowed that if he would have known, or would he have kicked him right out? He probably would have. Uh, my guess is, well, I, he supposedly knew about it, but, you know, he just never um, really revealed that he had known about it, and then he actually revealed that who it was about a year ago, because they mm -hmm. did a documentary on CNN called The Rock and Roll President. And in that, he basically revealed that, yes, it was his... It was his son that would go to the roof of the White House, and Willie Nelson was there, and they would, um, and they and they would uh, smoke pot up there. Wait, the roof of the White House? I've seen photographs when things get hairy. There's Secret Service up there <laughs> with like machine guns, like hanging out at the top, like guarding the White House. So oh, they were oh, up there yeah. with Secret oh, Service agents at the roof. Oh man, uh, him and Willie Nelson. I did uh, <laughs> probably one of the most infamous photographs ever taken inside of the White House is when Elvis visited Nixon. Yes. Yeah. See, that was interesting. That was back in 1971. And it, first of all, Elvis was not originally a Nixon supporter. He was actually a George Wallace supporter, if you can believe it, in 1968, and actually had a sign for George Wallace at Graceland. <laughs> and he actually visited George Wallace a couple times when they were governor. They actually had quite a, quite a very friendly relationship. But basically, he visited. He was supposedly he was probably on some sort of drugs, but he wanted to be. He said he wanted to be an agent. He wanted Nixon to essentially give him a ceremonial designation of an agent. Essentially, this is when the war on drugs began, right around 1971. He said that he was somebody who could talk to both, who was could who could essentially talk to part of the counterculture because they saw him as one of them, even though he didn't really view himself as one of them. I mean, he was not somebody who was protesting the Vietnam War. He was someone obviously who had supported George Wallace, was so someone a lot more conservative. And people thought he was. He thought he essentially could speak to people, and that he, in that in that job, as some sort of as some sort of an anti-drug agent, that he could actually uh, make a difference in that respect. Okay, I don't understand this. So, uh, in Graceland, was there a George Wallace yard sign out front? Yes. Yes. Really? So, like anyone would put up a yard sign in their front yard today? They had George Wallace ones in Graceland. In 1968, <laughs> yes. That is correct. That I would is love correct. to yes. see a photograph of that. That's so funny to think about that. 
Um, but thinking about the other thing, I did read a conspiracy website that talked about Elvis faking his death, and the conspiracy was oh, yeah. that he did it in uh, coordination with the United States government because he was an inside agent that was busting. I forgot who the target was. And the only way that he could basically live the rest of his life to be, you know, anyone, he didn't want to be a celebrity forever. And he thought this would be a way to get out of it with the government protecting him. He said, okay, I'll help you bust whoever it is. I'll, we'll fake my death. And then basically I'll get a uh, body guard coverage for the rest of my life. And then you'll help hide me like, uh, you know, like it's some sort of government program. And that was the deal Elvis made. That was the conspiracy. So that's interesting because there was someone I was I, there was someone I think I saw it might have been at Walmart that really looked like him the other day and I was thinking is that Elvis but he was a little bit older and I just couldn't I just couldn't place him. Yeah, now I that you're thinking about it. The bodyguards around us maybe that was him. <laughs> the Elvis bodyguards. You ever see the theory where people post that Elvis was on Home Alone the movie? No, I have not seen that. So there's a scene. No, Trump was Trump was in it though. Yeah, it was Home Alone two, of course, yes. But oh, yeah. Home Alone one. Do you remember the plot line, or at least uh, most of the movies? So eventually they forget the kid at home. They go and travel, yep. and yep, the mom lives in the airport trying to get a flight back to Chicago. And while she's talking to the ticket agent every time to see if anyone's dropped out, I think they're in Paris or something. Behind her at the ticket counter in one of the scenes is someone that looks like an aged Elvis. So people wondered, is he sneaking in there to to, to throw a bone <laughs> to the conspiracy theorist that he's still alive? Wow, that would be very bold if that was what he was actually doing. Wow. I should look this up. Do you remember Elvis's favorite sandwich? He, would, he used to fly out west for it. And I forgot what it was called, but essentially you take a full loaf of bread or like a you know one of those long sub roll things. You gut the inside out. One half you fill with a container of jelly. The other half you fill with a container of peanut butter, and you put a pound of bacon in the middle. That was his sandwich. Oh. He used to take his private jet out west to pick up all the time. Well, no, I did not know that. Well, I, we should do an Elvis sandwich sometime in the future. That sounds uh, very interesting, and that could be the downfall of both of us. You know, we could one day try that sandwich, and then next thing you know, both of us are in the hospital uh, with a heart attack or something along those lines. So, uh, Indeed. <laughs> Richard Bino, now, if people wanted to find you online, where can they look you up? Yep, you just go to Facebook and type in Rich Rubino. Go to www.paletta-geek.com or go to Twitter and type in Rich Rubino P-O-L. Great. And we'll hook up next week, I think, during our very first show. I'm not sure if... We're going to do it the first week. i got to double-check because the very first week, what we want to do is try to make sure we bring in some of our regular guests. And we're planning on having you on Tuesday during the new midday show here on KMOX called St. Louis Talks. I just have to make sure we're going to hook up on the very first Tuesday. But if not, anyone listening that's been messaging me, is Rich Rubino still going to be on? Yes, the answer is yes. He's going to join us <laughs> weekdays here during the day on KMOX during the St. Louis Talk Show. It'll be on Tuesday, so I look forward to talking to you on the other side, Rich. I look forward to it, absolutely. And he joins us on the Bomberito Automotive Group guest line. This is Overnight America, KMOX. Overnight America with Ryan Recker is sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. MichaelsFlooringOutlet.com On the voice of St. Louis, KMOX. Got a couple minutes here up until midnight, and we'll be uh, doing another hour next hour, another live hour, I should say. Then the one o'clock will be the replay. We'll replay uh, the Richard Bino interview that you just heard. But 
Got a couple minutes here if you want to call in. 314-436-7900. Next hour, our friend Shane Hewitt, who broadcast up in Canada for The Shift. We'll check in with him, and it'll be our last time doing it on Overnight America. Aww. But it always is a good time when Shane and I get an opportunity together. So we're we're very much going to look forward to that. And other things we'll do in the future. I don't think it'll be the last time we work together. I'm sure there'll be other things we could collaborate on. Saw a couple of stories about the universal basic income soft run that I think the Biden administration wants to start in from Business Insider. Says House Democrats unveiled a bill to keep the one year child tax credit expansion as part of the stimulus plan that was approved last month, the nearly two trillion dollar stimulus plan. So the plan was introduced uh, as part of the House Appropriations Committee. It would maintain the child tax credit that was increased, depending on how old your kids are, if they're under six, the child tax credit would go from $2,000 to $3,600. If they're between six and 17, meaning they're still a dependent, living in your house, in a minor, it goes from $2,000 to $3,000. So, you know, like in my family, for example, I have uh, a kid that's between six and 17, and I have a kid that's under six. So under Donald Trump's tax plan and what he implemented, the tax credit went from a thousand to two thousand each. That was huge. That was big. I mean, that was a lot of extra money coming in when you filed your taxes as a tax credit. In this case, um, I would have a three thousand and a thirty six hundred. But what they would do is that the IRS would issue a monthly check as opposed to allowing you to just put it on the credit of your taxes. This um has mixed feelings, mostly because when I file at the end of the year, I do like the idea of being able to just claim it and be done with it. In this case, sending it to you monthly, I I don't know how that may change your taxes because let's say that you change tax brackets from one year to another, and then all of a sudden they're basing it based on the previous year, but they're going to continue to front you the child tax credit ahead of time. That could be dangerous because all of a sudden you're going to be owing taxes on something or be asked to pay back because you wouldn't have qualified for that extra credit or maybe what uh, what you would have normally have gotten back credit wise from your taxes. That scares me a little bit. So how many people may be uh, getting in trouble for that? Because when you file for your taxes, it's from the year prior. And I'm not a tax accountant and I'm not someone that's super well versed in all of the different tax loopholes. But just practically speaking, when you file for the year and you're someone that's a single filer, or let's say you you just once a year, you're not someone that owns a business, you have to quarterly file, or you're someone that's a super high income and you quarterly file, whatever. Let's say that's off the table or you got lots of investments or whatever. Let's just say you're someone like an average Joe that files once a year for your family. So it's a lot easier when you have all of your finances laid out in your tax forms and then you could calculate what you owe or what is returned to you. The extra that is given to you is that, keep in mind, it's basically a tax, for, they're, they're giving it to you ahead of time. It's like going to your boss and saying, can I get my paycheck early? And they say, okay, sure, whatever. You get your paycheck early and then you don't work the hours for that paycheck. What is your boss going to do? Then they're going to say, okay, you owe us some money now. That's not good, right? So when you file at the end of the year and they've already paid it to you and there's a different number that the IRS is coming up with and they've already given it to you, what does that mean? Are you going to have to pay back something you don't expect? Now, let's say you're someone that can't afford to do that. Maybe you're someone that's not used to paying it. 
what happens then? And the whole idea of the stimulus money is to help people as they fight COVID. So at the end of the year, people are still fighting COVID and economic downturn because of COVID. Are you then going to say, well, too bad. <laughs> See you later. Or let's say some of these uh, eviction moratoriums, wherever they're living, decides to uh, lift, which they should be lifting. But let's just say it all comes at once. You owe a bunch of money to your landlord or your mortgage or whatever. And then the IRS comes back and says, you owe us even more money. That's going to be even worse. All you're doing is kicking things back further and further. And this surprises me too. I saw this over on Fox 4 in Kansas City. Senator Holly would give a tax credit for single parents, $6,000 for married couples, 12,000. He calls it the parent tax credit would provide single parents and married parents who filed jointly and then basically, depending on what your income is, the income would phase out. So the idea is single parent households would be required to report prior year earnings and show that they work at least 20 hours a week and they would earn a certain amount of money. If you file jointly, you'd earn a different amount of money. If approved, the IRS advanced payment plans would be on a monthly basis. So essentially what was first thought to be a tax credit and let's give it to you a higher amount in monthly increments ahead of time before you file for your taxes. It's a forward on your tax credit. Josh Hiley said, you know, we're going to take that. We're going to put that on steroids and we're going to pump that up so high. It'll become a monster. And then we'll just do a, a monthly payment from there. A lot of it is, is just it to me. It's just trying out universal basic income and trying to force the hand with it. Some big names, big business people, you have Andrew Yang, I think even Elon Musk and some of these other people have said that we're going to need it in the future in order to make up for all of the jobs that will be lost in the technology field in the future. And as these jobs are lost, there's going to have to be something there. That scares me. I don't know if Jeff Bezos is one that also brought this up, but you get these giant billionaires and you know on their way to trillionaires bringing these ideas up. And... I don't know if they, here's the thing, they're business owners, they have the ability to pay their people and they do pay their people and they put all these things out, but then they come out and say, what we're going to do is try to force the government to do it. I don't like this. I, I don't like the idea of it. I don't think it's a good idea. I don't think it's the right way to go. I think it discourages people from working. I think there has to be a lot of ways that you try to make sure they are working in order to get the credit. If anything, I think what the bigger incentive would be to try to put tax credits in place for those that are working or lower the tax rate in order to give yourself more income that way. That encourages you to earn more money and get more money back that you have earned and keep the money you've earned. That's the way you should do it. All right, another hour of Overnight America coming up here on KMOX. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 